we're non-religious and non-legislative, and we use science, facts, and personal accounts to educate people on the harmful effects of pornography. The ultimate goal, like you said, is that they can make, that every individual can make an informed decision. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Truth For Your 20s podcast. I'm extremely pumped to have with me a representative from Fight the New Drug. This is Garrett. And if you don't know, Fight the New Drug is an incredible organization It's a non-religious, non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals the opportunity to make informed decisions regarding pornography. And if you have been tuning in, we have already talked about this subject once earlier in the month. And if you didn't know, November is No Porn November. Did I say that right, Garrett? Yeah, No Porn November. However you want to say it, it's the same thing, I guess. Just no porn during November. Yes. And whenever you're listening to this, you can decide 30 days to have no porn. Just cut out for 30 days and see what happens. But before we get into all that, hello and welcome to the podcast, Garrett. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here too. I have loved Fight the New Drug and what you guys are up to for a while, like just admiring how just with grace and with information and with science, the way you handle this sometimes taboo subject and just offering the world such a great resources and stuff as it comes to um, to pornography. So, hi, and how did you get involved in with such a great organization? Well, hello, and hello. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we, how did I get involved? Well, that's a good question. Before I get into how I got involved, it might be good to figure out like or to discuss like how Fight got, yeah, how it was created and why it was created, and because it's it's relevant. So. In regards to how Fight was created and how that started, we've been around for over 10 years as a registered nonprofit. And like you said, we're non-religious and non-legislative, and we use science, facts, and personal accounts to educate people on the harmful effects of pornography. The ultimate goal, like you said, is that they can make, that every individual can make an informed decision. And going back to when Fight was founded, I think one of the major reasons why it was founded was because one of the co-founders, his cousin, he experienced porn being an escalating behavior where he needed more, more often a more specific version. And because of that escalating behavior, he actually acted out in a way that was, you know, inappropriate, really inappropriate and actually illegal. And it really disrupted the harmony within their, you know, their family dynamic and then also extended family. So what happened from there, I think that impacted our co-founder and he i think they impacted him to the point where he was astonished and kind of blew his mind like how did because his cousin talking to his cousin later his cousin attributed part of his acting out to pornography consumption and so i think that the co-founder his name's clay olson he said you know 
how can this be? How can pornography consumption be an escalating behavior to the point where it's going to influence someone to act out in this way? And Clay understands that not everyone who consumes pornography is going to act out in that way or do illegal things. And that's not the assumption that he had then. And that's not the assumption that we have today. But he did. He was curious. It spiked his curiosity. What's going on? And so he started to look into the science and, and research and started to get personal accounts. And he was a, a film and, and a creative where he was into film. He was in, I think he, he owned a marketing agency with some, some friends and they were starting that up. And then this came about and he was like, let's do a campaign. Let's use our skills and abilities to market and to film and create things. And let's do a campaign of some sort to build awareness about the harmful effects of pornography. So I think that's where it all started. And it's kind of cool to think about because, you know, fast forward to today and back then there was significant research showing the harmful effects because there had been a lot of survivors and there's been a lot of personal accounts and a lot of research that had been performed. But looking over the past 10 years, there's been even more research being performed, even more personal accounts. And so it's cool to see that the science what I, I kind of the way I look at it is the co-founders of Fight the New Drug and those who came before Fight the New Drug were they saw something and they acted on it. And today we're kind of reaping those benefits that we are able to make an informed decision. And going to how I got involved, you know, I hadn't heard about Fight the New Drug. I was about 29 years old when I first heard about Fight the New Drug. And so back in like 2016 and... I was consuming pornography and I had never really had a counter voice. I never really had an opportunity to make an educated decision because it was really just normalized in my life. And it wasn't until I heard a presentation by Fight the New Drug and it happened at random that I heard that presentation and it resonated with me. And I was like, oh my goodness, I did not know this. And it really was encouraging to me. And so I went home and uh, the, the, I heard the presentation at a high school because my wife is a coach at a high school and Fight the New Drug happened to be there when I was going to pick her up because we were sharing a car at the time. So I went to pick her up. I heard the presentation. I went home and I finally had the courage to tell my wife the truth, you know, because we had lived through uh, dating and being engaged and being married for about five years, six years. And I was consuming porn in secrecy, right behind her back in a sense. And that it was a really interesting experience. But yeah, that's how I got involved. And I, I told the truth to her. And that was a very challenging thing for our relationship for her. And the cool thing is, is that we were able to pivot and work on ourselves. And I, I only talk to my personal account because I don't want to speak for my significant other, but I worked on myself and worked on the, the neuroplasticity part. And I ended up doing some projects for fight the new drug because I wanted to be part of the solution. And I is, I'm decent at endurance events. Like before, back in like 2011, no, 2010, I ran a hundred miles straight. Wow. And it was through the mountains and it's a, one of the most challenging endurance events in the world. And I finished, I wasn't good. Like I'm not the top finisher, <laughs> but finished. I, I finished. Yeah. And then I did an Ironman, like a full Ironman in Kentucky. And so I knew that I was decent at these endurance events. And so I used that talent to build awareness for fight the new drug. And so 
I ended up doing 30 marathons in 30 days wearing handcuffs, which represented like the, so the 30 years, I was about to turn 30 years old. And so the 30 and 30 and handcuffs kind of represented all those years that I walked around with this, this secret. And so the, the handcuffs had represented the addictive nature of pornography. And then after that, I wanted to do another project. And so I asked my wife, you know, what do you feel? What do you think about this project? And the project was to go coast to coast from Virginia to San Francisco on a bicycle, uh, dragging chains. And so the chains represented, again, the heaviness of the heaviness that this can bring about for people. And so I ended up doing that. I flew out to Virginia with my bicycle. And on day 21, the chains had the carabiners had worn away and the chains had fallen off. And I finished the last half of the ride without chains. And the last mile, my wife met me in San Francisco and we rode the last few miles together, which was kind of a cool experience. But it just, it resembled, it represented the fact that we can become healthier versions of ourselves. And part of that is making an informed decision and not acting out of impulsivity or compulsivity. And that's how I got involved. And so Fight the New Drug reached out and they said, you know, we want to do a little video on your experience. And so they did the video and then they said, you know, we have an opportunity that you could possibly present to like junior highs, high schools, colleges and use your video as part of the presentation. And so that was incorporated in that way. And then fast forward to today and I've been working with Fight the New Drug since since 2016. And, um, you know, I've presented to over 200 audiences in like 25 states and three countries. And I just feel real grateful for Fight the New Drug. So it's a, it's a cool opportunity to be here talking with you today. Wow. I didn't even know all of that. I'm glad that I asked. <laughs> yeah, it was a long-winded answer. Oh, Sorry. I loved every minute of it. And this is perhaps totally just pulling something out of the story that shouldn't be, but you mentioned that the chains broke at 21 days. Isn't it like they say that it takes 21 days to break a habit? Yeah, I don't believe that though. I don't I mean, know either, might, but... <laughs> it might for some people. Everyone's different, but I don't think that there's... 21 days is a good amount. Like if you know how we're not in... We're currently in no porn November. So 21 days of, of no porn is definitely going to make a difference. But yeah, that is an interesting observation though. Um, I don't no, know if yeah. I believe that that's like the day, like, okay, 21 days, I'm good, right. never again. But right. I think there is something to that. And yeah, yeah the, the chains, they were really heavy chains. I got them from Home Depot. It was like the most durable chain there and um, still chain. So the chain, there was wear and tear on it, but the carabiner is what wore away. The carabiner was a softer metal. And the friction caused it to wear away, broke away, and the chains released one by one. So that was a really cool experience. Well, and I didn't expect so, that to happen. Yeah. There's just so many interesting parallels with that. And, you know, pulling those chains along and then the breaking. And I love what you said about how, yes, we can make steps in this healthier direction. And it doesn't happen overnight, but, you know, over yeah. and over going in that positive direction. Amazing. Okay. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, the whole organization is called fight the new drug. And so realizing that porn is a drug and so many people have, will say, Oh, well, porn's not a big deal, you know, whatever. And using that, you know, visual of chains, I just think all that's so interesting. So talk to us about like porn really is a drug. Like why, how, why is it chains? It's not a big deal. Like, you know, some people say that, what would you say, you know, in that to that? So yeah, it's an interesting thing. Cause I think it's important to consider everyone's opinion. Right. And, um, that person if they have the opinion that it's not a big deal, then that is one piece of anecdotal evidence that to them, it's not a big deal. 
And it's also important to consider the other personal accounts that say, yes, it is a big deal. And this is why, and this is how. And so I think it comes down to consideration and healthy conversation. In regards to the question, like, is pornography a real drug and going to our name, fight the new drug? The answer is that I guess there's a lot of ways to answer this. But one of the things that I want to mention is that there was a piece of research done pretty recently by Dr. Valerie Voon. She's from Cambridge University in the UK, and she performed a study and there weren't there weren't a ton of participants in this study but there were enough to perform it. She's the lead researcher there. And she put people, they had two groups. It was the healthy volunteers in one group. And the other group was patients who had been diagnosed with compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And so they took these two groups and they showed them sexually explicit material under an fMRI machine, which shows brain activity, how brain reacts to visuals. And so they would show them these images of sexually explicit images, and then they would also show them different images that didn't have anything to do with, they weren't sexually explicit. And they observed which regions of the brain reacted in different ways, comparing the healthy patients or the healthy volunteers and the patients with compulsive sexual behavior. And at the end of the study, in the abstract of the study, one of the quotes from Dr. Valerie Voon says, there are clear differences in brain activity between patients who have compulsive sexual behavior and healthy volunteers. And these differences mirror those of drug addicts. And so I think that the last sentence that the differences mirror the, those of drugs at drug addicts is one piece of evidence showing that change occurs in the brain, whether a person is ingesting a substance, for example, if we compare it to cigarettes, or if a person's engaging with a behavior, there are brain changes, whether the changes occur because of a substance or whether the changes occur because of a behavior, our brains are always changing. It's called neuroplasticity. And so according to Dr. Valerie Voon, the differences between the healthy patients or the healthy volunteers and the patients with compulsive sexual behavior, those differences mirrored those of drug addicts. And so that's just one piece of evidence showing that, again, those changes can occur. And many experts say that there are four markers for addiction. Because a lot of people, I think it's a common thing to jump to addiction. We often overuse that word, right? Because it's like, are we addicted? Are you addicted to chocolate? Are you addicted to your favorite show? Are you addicted to ice cream or whatever it is, coffee? So we kind of overuse that word. And I think that same thing occurs when it comes to this topic, that a person might be consuming pornography or know someone who is consuming pornography or suspect that someone's consuming pornography. And then they oftentimes will jump to the conclusion that that means that they're addicted. But then when you ask, you know, what is addiction? How do you define addiction? How does, how do professionals diagnose addiction? And there, there's like a little bit of like, oh, I don't know. How do you define addiction, you know? And so many experts say there are four markers when it comes to defining addiction or labeling addiction an addiction. And the four markers are sensitization, desensitization, hypofrontality, and dysfunctional stress. So sensitization is... If you think about it, if we compare it to a person that smokes cigarettes, a person that is, has a sensitized pathway for cigarettes, they'll be triggered by things. Their life will become full of different cues that push them back to smoking. So it could be the smell of smoke, could be the time of day, could be the stress of the day. It could be a billboard, could be an advertisement, could be all these things that push them towards an addiction or towards that substance again. And it's kind of an interesting concept because 
when it comes to a sensitized pathway, it's not the thing might not even be the thing. So the person might, it's not even that they're, it's not the cigarette that spiked the desire. It's the time of day or it's a person, it's an old smoking buddy. So that person, it's, it's an entirely different thing that pushed them towards wanting to smoke. And that sensitization is also in like people that experience a compulsive sexual behavior or unwanted porn consumption or problematic porn consumption also experience sensitization, meaning that they might be triggered by their computer or they might be triggered by their cell phone or let's a common one that we hear a lot as an organization because we have you know millions of followers from around the world is people will write into us and sometimes they're kids and they don't feel like they have anywhere else to turn so sometimes they'll write into us and express you know this is happening what can i do and one of the things that we hear sometimes is that when parents leave the house that is their trigger they now think once the door closes the garage shuts they now think okay now it's time to go consume pornography. And so again, this is all about sensitization. The opposite of sensitization is desensitization. And that's another marker for addiction. And um, desensitization, if we're comparing it to cigarettes, again, it would be that a person goes from needing one cigarette, they smoke their first cigarette, and then sometime down the road, they're smoking multiple packs per day, right? And so that same thing happens with pornography, where some, not everyone, my grandpa actually smoked for many years, and he lived to be 95. So it's not saying that if you smoke a cigarette, you're going to die. It's not saying that if you consume pornography, you're going to be addicted. It's just saying that there's a possibility. And if we're comparing it to tobacco, the tobacco industry, people are able to make an educated decision today regarding tobacco because there's a label on it. And the label says this causes cancer. And then the person can make an educated decision and weigh out pros and cons. And what's happening with pornography right now, it's... There is a shift happening, but for a lot of people, it's just an impulsive or compulsive decision. There is no education. There is no informed decision happening. And so our goal at Fight the New Drug is to not control anyone. Uh, We're non-legislative. We're not trying to ban that. We are just saying make an informed decision because you deserve whatever you want. And if you want happiness and good relationships, pornography can disrupt those things. Well, I love what you're doing and I love how Fight the New Drug is approaching this. Like you said, you know, just here's some information for you to make a healthy and informed decision. And you personally come at it with such grace. And I appreciate that because, you know, again, we, this can, subject can be related with shaming and, oh, you're wrong and you're dirty. Like, no, like here is some information that you just might not know. And I love the way you present that. So I want to talk specifically a lot of young women listen to this podcast and Maybe their boyfriend is struggling with this or their husband or whatever, and maybe they assume, they assume it or they know it to be a fact. And how can, I don't want girls to be like, oh, you're wrong and you're dirty and I'm going to break up with you. Like this is a problem for good hearted guys and women. Of course, we had, we had an episode um, at the beginning of this month where a young woman shared her story and I was so thankful for her sharing her story. But awesome. specifically, yeah, specifically, how can the girls talk to a guy with grace? about this, about the subject. It can be a very difficult thing to talk about. And uh, you've acknowledged that difficulty. And it's important to get context because sometimes I don't love giving advice or my opinion. And the reason why is because my opinion and, and advice usually lacks self-awareness and context. And when it comes to this topic, 
context is really important. And so I think it's important for your listeners, if you have listeners out there who have a significant other that they, whether they know the person is consuming pornography or suspect that the person is consuming pornography, you know, those approaches are going to be different again, whether they know or whether they don't. Another thing that's going to play a role into the conversation and how that goes is if they've had previous conversations about it. Another thing that's going to be important to consider is, do they know their opinion on pornography? And so all of these things are important as we navigate these conversations. I think that you said something really important. You've kind of touched on things that you should do when you said, you know, do it with like in a non-shameful way. I guess that'd be something you shouldn't do, like avoid the shame. Right. And then things that you should do are like, I guess when it comes down to it is prepare yourself for this conversation. And what I mean by that is if a listener right now is saying, hey, I want to talk about this with my significant other. I'm not sure how. I'm not very familiar with this topic. I'm not sure what tone I should use. I'm not sure like all of these things, then that person needs to increase their self-awareness and realize, okay, I have some work to do before this conversation happens, right? Because the person, first of all, that person should calm and, and breathe, maybe go do some, like a little, like go for a walk, get out and get some exercise if they're feeling down or feeling stressed or feeling hopeless because research shows that those things are causal to decreasing stress and improving mood. And so that's my first tip is like get out and do something activity wise, whether it's even even just laying on the ground and breathing, like doing some breathing exercises or whatever it is to calm yourself and then give yourself enough time to prepare yourself, like get to know the science facts and research yourself so that you can have some substance to, you know, to rely on during this conversation, because there can be, you know, gaslighting involved where the person possibly might say, you know, there's no harm in it. How do you know? I've, I've been consuming this for a long time and nothing's happened. Or So you have all these different things. So it's important to be prepared. And I think another couple of things are, that are really important is going to be to express, like, if you love that person, then, you know, express that love and, or express that genuine care for that person, whatever level it's at. And then it's also going to be important to listen to them and have follow-up conversations because the lead researchers in the world, are you familiar with the Gottmans? Yes. Yeah. The Gottmans, yeah. Julian John Gottman. They, for a long time, they wouldn't talk to pornography consumption, but they've worked with thousands of couples and they've done decades of research. They are the lead experts in the world when it comes to relationships. And I do want to share a quote from them because they pretty recently talked about the, the effects that pornography can have on relationships. And one of the, well, like a portion from their statement is really, really powerful and really telling. It says, we are led to unconditionally conclude that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. And so I just want to say that again, because it's so important that we are led to unconditionally conclude that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. And so if you have listeners and people that you're mentoring and they're in relationships, according to Julian John Gottman, unconditionally conclude, I guess that's kind of a way of saying that and in, in no matter what, in some way, this is going to affect your relationship. It doesn't mean that you're going back to kind of what I said originally. It doesn't mean that your partner is going to act out in a way that's illegal. It doesn't mean that your partner is going to act out in a way that is violent or that is non-consensual, but it can be, it can get to that. And the thing about neuroplasticity, going back to brain changes, is that 
it can, like none of us are above it. You talked about how both women, guys, it doesn't matter what your, all these diversifying factors. It doesn't matter what your religious stance is. It doesn't matter what your, it doesn't matter what the gender is. It doesn't matter what the political stance is, like socioeconomic status, like nothing, none, none of this matters. None of us are above this. We're all human and those brain changes can happen to really any of us. And so again, it goes back to making an educated decision. So if you care about a person, you should have this conversation, especially if you're considering dating this person seriously, or if you have meaningful relationships, pornography can disrupt them. If you are listening to this episode before December 9th, I'm having the biggest sale I've ever had in my shop. The brand new Sisterhood Comfort Color t-shirts are only $12.99 Yes, you heard that right. The popular I Don't Date Dirt Bags totes, which are my personal favorite, are only $14.99. Literally everything is on sale. And if you buy $20 or more worth of stuff, you get free shipping too. So check out my website, katiebulmer.life, or find me on Instagram. I made it super easy at katiebulmerlife. Check out the link in profile and save now before the sale ends on December 9th. Yeah. And you speak to schools, right? When yeah. You, yeah. So I'd love to just kind of know, you know, a little bit about what you talk about and what, you know, you're, mm. you're known for when you go to schools. Yeah. So we go to junior highs and high schools and colleges, and we also do, do community events. And when we go to all of these events, we focus on how pornography can affect the brain, the heart and the world. And so when we're, when we say brain, we are referring to the individual. When we say heart, where we are referring to the relationships, both, you know, romantic and platonic relationships that we have. And then when we say world, we're of course talking about the society you live in, the circles that you have. And then also, you know, on a broader scale, you know, nationwide, worldwide, what is this doing to that? And so we, yeah, we break it down using science facts and personal accounts and, We also have a really cool documentary that's one of the tools that we push, and it's at brainheartworld.org. The documentary is titled Brain Heart World, so it it follows that same same outline of how it affects the brain. I'll link that in the notes. Yeah, it's a great documentary, and I had nothing to do with it, so I can't take any credit, and so I can brag about it. (laughs) I can tell you how good it is. It's uh, really engaging, really uplifting, really hopeful, really educational. And, it, you know, it took five, it took fight the new drug five years to produce and you can use it in your home as an individual or as a family. And you can watch it yourself as an adult and then decide, you know, if you want to share it with other people or, you know, a lot of people will share it with their kids. So in age appropriate ways. So it's a great tool to have. But yeah, we talk about the brain, the heart and the world. And then in community events and at college settings, we do a Q&A after at the junior high level, at the high school level, level we do not do a Q&A. But one of the things that's kind of cool about the junior highs and high school presentations is that we have a banner that we bring up, you know, on stage and we give away some merch during the presentation. And I just was in Washington like two weeks ago. And then I was in Texas the week before that presenting. And it's cool to see that like 70 to 90% of kids are participating and bought in to they want to be part of the solution oh, good. and uh, you know, they come in and participate. And at the end of the presentation, we have this banner we call, we have attributes listed out on this banner because at fight the new drug, we kind of refer to our fighters or our followers as fighters, meaning that, you know, we're here to fight for love. We're here to fight for meaningful relationships and truth. And so some of the attributes that are listed 
on what it means to be a fighter or what we encourage our fighters to incorporate into their lives, or we want the fighters to be encouraging. We want them to be open-minded. We want them to be real. We want them to be bold. And so we have this banner and at the end of the presentation, kids come up and, you know, sign the banner. And like I said, you know, 70 to 90% of kids come up and sign the banner in a sense that they want to be part of the solution and uh, want to be a fighter. And so that's really encouraging, really cool to see that, uh, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there. There's a lot of people just like yourself and the listeners you have that are being part of this solution and being part of changing the conversation. And it's really cool to see all these kids on board being like, yeah, I want to help out. I want, I I want true love. I'm going to, to have it on today, but, um, it's a little cold, but I, I, here's my t-shirt. There we go. Love can't be clicked. Yeah. Love can't be clicked. That's true. Don't buy the lies. Yeah. So yeah, don't buy the lies. It's a good shirt. And yeah, I think it's important because the narrative being pushed right now by, you know, a lot of people and oftentimes by like mainstream media is, you know, porn is normal and porn is harmless and porn is cool. And it's, you know, those are like that shirt says, don't buy the lies. Like, and another way to state it that we, that we use often is consider before consuming, because that's what it comes down to. If we really had to kind of sum it up into three word, a three word answer to be considered before consuming, consider the harmful effects and make an educated decision for yourself. Yeah. One thing I think people probably know the least about is so we can make an argument. Yes, this is probably not good for relationships. Yes, this is probably not good for the person who's consuming it. But how does it affect the world? I think that's probably that's something people don't know a lot about. Can you touch on that? Yeah. For a second? Yeah, that's really interesting. Because before I had heard about fight the new drug, I didn't really have any conversations about non consensual stuff. I didn't have many conversations about abuse. I didn't have many conversations about sexual violence. I didn't have many conversations about sex trafficking. Like none of these conversations happened within my circles, at least from what I remember. And when I went to the presentation, it was really eye-opening to see how this is affecting the world. And there's many things to talk about. So I'm like Uh, running through my head of like, which ones, how do we talk about this? And one way to talk about it, it was pretty recent and it was a very significant event. It was in 2020 and it was a journalist from the New York Times. He wrote an expose and he's an award-winning journalist and he wrote this expose which exposed one of the main mainstream internet pornography sites. And the reason why he wrote that expose is because he went, he heard about how it was affecting people but he wanted to do his own investigation. So he went to Pornhub and he started to search on Pornhub for things like sexual violence, non-consensual rape, you know, all of these things. He started digging into the site. And one of the things that he found was this video and the perpetrator to prove that the person was unconscious. And I just want to say, you should probably add a trigger warning. And I just want to say that this can be very triggering for people that have experienced any type of sexual violence or non-consensual situations, the perpetrator to prove that this person was unconscious and wasn't able to give consent, they opened their eyeball and touched their per- the person's eyeball, showing that this person was unconscious and then you know proceeded to rape that individual. And he realized that this video was on a mainstream internet site. It's a free tube site. 
So this is accessed without membership and without a paywall. And it's also the site that oftentimes kids will go to because it is free, right? Because they're not going to pay for pornography usually. So they're going to these sites and these kids are seeing this. And then he started realizing that because it has views and because there were ads next to some of these videos that Pornhub was monetizing and profiting off of non-consensual content. And in many scenarios, they were profiting off of scenes of sex trafficking. And so it's just very interesting to see a mainstream internet site. One of the top, it's tough to get the exact numbers, but it's one of the top 20 sites, I would imagine. I don't know the exact number, but it's one of the top 20 sites in regards to traffic in the world. And this site is monetizing and profiting off of rape, non-consensual content, and it's perpetuating off of or it's perpetuating things like sexual violence and, you know, it, in, it fuels and encourages and normalizes things like incest and racism. And this industry is just getting away with it. So he wrote this expose and the title of the expose, if you want to look it up, it's very interesting. It's in the New York Times. It's a New York Times article. It's titled The Children of Pornhub. And the author's name is Nicholas Kristoff. And after this article was published, companies like Visa, MasterCard, and Discover, these big players in the financial world, withdrew processing, payment processing on Pornhub because of the liability that they presented. And that's just one example, a recent example, showing that the mainstream internet porn that a person consumes, it's really, it's impossible to know if it was consensual. And it's sold on the same shelf as things that are consensual, like the non-consensual stuff is, it sits on the same shelf as the non-consensual. Did I say that right? The non-consensual sits on the same stuff as the consensual. And when we're talking about sex trafficking, it's important to understand the definition of sex trafficking because there's, it's a complex thing. And we at Fight the New Drug, this is not a one-sided conversation. We are not just gathering information. We, a big, very important Part of this, when we were talking about changing the conversation, is speaking with victims and survivors. And we have spoken to many of them. And so we understand from there, because of their courage, because of their strength, we understand, we better understand what, it, what goes on behind the scenes. What goes into a performer? Like, why, why are performers there performing porn? And, you know, they, we take these this evidence, this anecdotal evidence, these personal accounts. And it's very interesting to see why people are there and how they end up being trafficked and how sometimes they don't even know they're being trafficked. And so going back to like, what is sex trafficking? The legal definition in the United States is a commercial sex act induced by force, fraud, coercion, or if the person is under the age of 18. And so if a person is being prostituted by a pimp, under and that person is under the age of 18 and when i say pimp either a pimp or we could also label them a trafficker because legally speaking that person is a trafficking victim sex trafficking victim that person might go home at night and sleep in their own bed that person might even live with their pimp and be there you know quote unquote willingly but they are underage and it's a commercial sex act and then you also the the keywords there are force fraud or coercion and it, Going back to your question, like it's such a great question, like how does it affect the world? And it impacts the world 
in such significant ways. I've talked about some extreme examples and, I, and things that, that happen, but then some of the listeners, you know, they might say, you know, what's well, not going to happen to me and I'm not going to perpetuate sex trafficking and I'm anti-sex trafficking, but how does it affect the world? Well, as a man, as a person who is heterosexual man, I can talk to how it affected me. And going back to the Gottman's quote, that they are led to unconditionally conclude that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. Like my relationships, my relationship with my, my partner, my relationship with my kids, the most important thing to me, those relationships are the most important thing. And pornography posed a threat. And, you know, it's been about six years, five or six years since I started to address my challenge with pornography consumption. And I can say today that the level of gratitude that I feel to have the opportunity to make an informed decision, that's what powered me to run 30 marathons in 30 days. That's what powered me to go across the United States because I, and by the way, I did not want to talk about my personal account. When I did the marathons, for the first 26 marathons, I would not talk about my personal account. I was doing it just to be part of the solution, just to build awareness. And my wife, she was like, well, Garrett, like if you're looking to eliminate shame and normalize this, then maybe you should talk about your own personal account. And so it was never my intent to be sitting here today talking about it, but the gratitude fueled those projects and the gratitude fuels me today. And so when we're talking about how it affects the world, like Pornography literally changes your brain and everything changes your brain. All the things in the world change all every day of every second of every day. We're changing our brains because of neuroplasticity and pornography is no different. So when I was consuming pornography and spending time with pornography, it was influencing me. Whether at the time I really knew it or really wanted to admit how much it was influencing me, I was able to maintain healthy relationships in my personal account. Like I would say that my wife and I had a pretty healthy relationship, even at the time when I was consuming pornography. But today, fast forward to today, you know, five, six years later, and we enjoy a greater level of intimacy. And I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about because there's no secret in all aspects of intimacy, whether it's in our communication, in our non-sexual touch, in our, in our sexuality as well, like we enjoy a greater level of intimacy across the board because of the fact that I was able to make an educated decision and because I have, you know, I've been patient and I've pressed forward and I've had setbacks and then I've been patient more and I've worked hard and been educated and got more educated and done lots of self-awareness and self-work and all those things. And then today, again, like the level of gratitude that I feel for my relationships, it like, it's powerful. That's amazing. I wish I could like just get that little clip and blast it around the world. That was beautiful. <laughs> well, yeah, it is beautiful. Like relationships are beautiful yeah. and healthy relationships and honesty, like goodness gracious. Yes. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's what we need as humans connection. Yeah. yeah. Well, as you mentioned, you know, this is an industry and as silly as it may sound, industries are fueled by money and I don't know why, but this is this simple but profound. When I was younger, I didn't fully understand all of this, but money makes the world go round, right? And so ultimately, if this industry isn't making money, it could shut down. And so I guess just a reminder for maybe someone who hasn't even connected the dots, because like I said, when I was younger, I don't think I would have connected the dots. If we don't pay for porn, 
we can collectively shut this down. So like, you know, if you want to change the world, you do that with the dollars you spend. So that's just a reminder. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. It's interesting because when you say that the dollars, like those dollars go and they, they influence the world, the way we spend our dollars. The interesting thing about porn is the ease of access. Yeah. So the Mayo Clinic, it's a really famous nonprofit here, here in the United States. And they acknowledge that compulsive sexual behavior disorder exists. And then they list a couple risk factors for developing a compulsive sexual behavior disorder. And the two risk factors that they list, according to the last time I checked, was uh, ease of access and privacy. And so ease of access, right? The weird thing about this topic and this thing, pornography, is that it's oftentimes free. There are no dollars being spent from the consumer's end. And so if you go back to Pornhub, you know, that's an example. There's many free tube sites out there, but that's the example we use since we've kind of talked about it during this conversation. So that's a free tube site. You go there and you're not spending any money, but there's ads there. And like you said, follow the dollar and you, the consumer, if you're not paying for something, then it's possible that you are the something like you are the product. You become the product in a sense. And so it is important. Like you bring up a great point. We as consumers do influence the world and we have a campaign that we do every year called Stop the Demand. And we just encourage people from around the world to stop the demand for, uh, you know, sexual exploitation through zero consumption of pornography. And we also acknowledge at the same time that zero consumption is a lofty goal because if someone is consuming pornography, it can be very challenging to navigate away from that, to pivot away and go zero consumption from one day to the next. And just like we talked about how not everyone who consumes pornography is addicted and how that can be a very gradual process because of the rewiring of the, because of neuroplasticity, that same concept applies to journeying back towards a healthy state, that it's gradual. And so I just want to encourage your listeners and anyone that they, you know, interact with that most of the time the change isn't going to happen overnight. and that yes, zero consumption is the goal, if that's your goal as an individual, but uh, be patient with yourself because it's not a it's not an easy thing to take on. So this is going to air at the end of November, but talk to me about the No Porn November and how this can start whenever they're listening to this episode. Yeah, so we do this campaign as well every year, No, no Porn November, like you mentioned, and the goal again is zero consumption. And the goal is to stop the demand for sexual exploitation and encourage people to make an educated decision. And the way we kind of look at it is that it's a test for people to experiment, to do a little experiment and say, you know, I actually recorded a conversation with another individual and she has a big following on social media as well. And I was on her podcast and she was doing a challenge. She did a a month. She consumes porn and she's like, I'm doing a challenge for a month, no porn, because I want to see what the benefits are. And so you never really know. A person never really knows what the benefits are until you experience them. And so we just encourage people to try it. And, you know, a lot of the people doing No Porn November, they've set the goal. Yes, we're going to go the month without porn. And then, you know, maybe on day three, they consume porn. And then they have this moment of decision making to be like, okay, well, I consumed it. We can move forward. It's not the... It doesn't mean that my progression has to end. And then, you know, they can continue on through the month and continuing trying to discover like what, what are the benefits? 
And how is this going to improve my life? And it's challenging to describe, but as a person who doesn't consume porn, going back to my personal account, like the benefits are many when we're talking about what are the benefits of a life free from pornography and its influence. And the level of gratitude that I feel is like a drug. Like it's like this natural high because of the relationships that I enjoy. And I think that, yeah, I think that men and women both, but since I'm, you know, a man, I, I think it's important for men to know that like being a man, it's a very beautiful thing. It's a very special thing. And, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you know, they say like, when we're talking about what is a stereotypical man, like what are the attributes that build up, like that create manliness or masculinity. And one of them is that's commonly used in Western society is independence, right? We think men or oftentimes men will put this upon themselves. Like I have to be independent. And at the same time, that man might have some level of dependency to pornography. So it's kind of an interesting concept that, but it's like, we say we have to be independent, but then we have a dependency to pornography. And so I just want to challenge the men out in the world, the listeners that you have, or yeah, that, that true manliness, independence doesn't mean that you don't need help from people. Independence means that you're free from, I think this is the way I define it. It's that you're free from impulsivity and free from compulsivity. That's true independence. So I think that No Porn November is a chance to break that dependency, whatever the level is. And then you have to ask yourself, why? Like, why am I turning to pornography? That's a whole nother four-hour conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love Fight the New Drug. What you guys are doing is so important and so valuable. I've been a fan since I've known about the organization and will continue to do so. I had a college student, just friend I met when I spoke at her school that we've stayed in touch. And she kind of just started to understand. She works at a pregnancy center and started to kind of understand, you know, the what you're talking about, you know, how porn is is really impacting and not helping relationships and wanting to get involved. And I was like, follow if I've been a drug. So nice. maybe if you could just talk to her and anyone else who might be listening, whether porn has affected them closely or not so closely, how they can join the fight. Yeah. So we are one organization. There's many out there that are part of the being part of the solution. There's so many people out there changing the conversation, but we have fight the new drug. We are on social media. And so wherever you go, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, everything is at fight the new drug. And one way to join is just following along there so that you can continue to gain more awareness as to what's happening, how it's affecting different aspects of, of life. and then. We also have opportunities, like I mentioned, the documentary that you can watch, sharing that with people. We also, you mentioned merch. Yeah. We have some merch that Add you can swag. buy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we just fight the new drug, whether you join arms with us, I fight the new drug, or whether it's just having conversations on your own. We're just all about healthy conversations and helping people make an informed decision. So whatever that looks like for the individual, you know, I, I, I did the 30 marathons in 30 days and the coast to coast, but we have other fighters that are utilizing their talents in other ways. So it really just depends on the person. Where are you geographically? I live in Utah. Utah. Okay. Well, other side of the country in Chattanooga, we have an Ironman over here. So if you ever want to come visit, 
It's a big deal. Uh, Where are you located? Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, that's cool. And uh, this is so ironic, but Little Debbie is founded in Chattanooga. Little Debbie herself is still alive. No way. So Yes, she's in her 80s. And there's billboards all around downtown Chattanooga with Little Debbie and like the Iron Man goggles and the Iron Man like... uh, No way. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big deal in our town. That's so cool. I've actually presented in Tennessee a few times, yeah. And I never knew that little Debbie was from there. So next time I go there, I have to get some little Debbie cakes. Or something. <laughs> After you run a marathon or Ironman, you deserve all the that, That'll Debbie. be the fuel that I use. <laughs> That's right. To, to get me through it. Yeah. Well, Garrett, such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable and honest and letting us know how we can join the fight. Always a fan of what Fight the New Drug is doing and we'll continue to support you guys. And we'll put all those links on the show notes. So you guys make sure you scroll down wherever you're listening and see how you can join in. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thanks so much. I'm over here giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Would you help a sister out and take a screenshot right wherever you're listening and share it on your social? Give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big thank you. You sharing it, you leaving your reviews on iTunes is the best possible compliment you can give. Hey, let's continue to hang out. We have a private community called Truth For Your 20s over on Facebook. So just go to groups, search Truth For Your 20s and come join the party.